Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. We are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning and welcome. You're tuned in to Spirit Mornings. I'm Bruce McGregor. She is... Chris McGregor. And today, Chris, we're delighted to have back Thomas Crogwell, author of a dozen books, including one of our favorites, Saints for Every Occasion, A Do Blue Bedsheets Bring Babies, The Truth Behind Old Wives' Tales, and three volumes of Urban Legends. Writes a monthly column on patron saints for Catholic diocesan newspapers and has written about the saints for the likes of the Wall Street Journal, St. Anthony Messenger, and Catholic Digest and has discussed them on CNN and EWTN. Thomas lives in Bethel, Connecticut and resides right here on our humble little radio program this morning. Thomas, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Bruce. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Thomas. It's always so great to have you with us. I like coming here. Do you? Yeah, I really do. You find yourself welcomed? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's not the morning zoo show, and I've done those, and they're no fun. Yeah, well, no, we do, we do have animal stories occasionally, but... Right. <laughs> but yeah. you're usually, I mean, you know... More likely they're going to be dogs and cats. Yeah. <laughs> anything that would hurt you. <laughs> Unless, of course, it's the, the killer whale story, but we won't go over to that one. That was, that was a sad story. But anyhow, Thomas, it's so good to be with you, because there's one saint in particular that has... I don't know what happened. He all of a sudden morphed into a big round guy with a, a red nose and a beard and a very big belly. Yeah, uh, poor St. Nicholas. You know, <laughs> 1,700 years of a really intense devotion to him, and then it fizzles out. And yeah. I think the problem is that it's hard to pray to someone described as a right jolly old elf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happened? Well, it, it, it actually happened in America. We have nobody to blame but ourselves. Uh, figures. Fancy uh, that. Sorry. Uh, in, in, um, in the early days of, of America, Christmas was kind of a rowdy celebration with, with lots of public drunkenness and the, even the occasional riot. Uh, and... You, along comes Washington Irving and his friends. And Washington Irving, you remember, is the author of Rip Van Winkle. Mm-hmm. Well, he want, he and his friends wanted to come up with a more polite, tame, family-oriented Christmas. And they they wanted to give it some, some real American roots. So they invented this myth that the Dutch had brought the celebration of, of St. Nicholas to to America, to New Amsterdam, and that celebrating St. Nicholas and St. Nicholas bringing gifts to children um, was, was a, an old American custom and really should be revived. Mm-hmm. Well, the Dutch by this point were, were Calvinists. They were Dutch Reformed. They weren't praying to St. Nicholas anymore. Nope. Uh, so there, there's absolutely nothing to it, and they they came up with the name Sinterklaas, but supposedly this was what the Dutch called St. Nicholas, and that got morphed into Santa Claus. Um, Thomas Nast, the famous cartoonist, uh, illustrated Twas the Night Before Christmas and gave us the image of the round, roly-poly Santa Claus figure and kept calling him St. Nicholas. Hmm. And the two got blended together, and now it's almost impossible to sort them out. In in everybody's head, St. Nicholas is the guy who comes down the chimney. Now, I'm not trying to cause problems for families out there or make kids feel bad, but, you know, there was even an attempt by CCC videos when they did the story of St. Nicholas, which is really, really quite a a wonderful tribute to the saint and some of the activities that he did, contained in a 30-minute animated video. The only part that I had a problem with is at the very end, after he had been in prison for all these years, and which is, you know, very, I mean, important chapter in his life, he came out overweight and i just 
I kept thinking, all he got was bread and water. How did he get so rotund, you know? <laughs> it's because they were trying to match the image. I, I understand I understand the goal. I told my kids, do you think that's the way it might have happened? Probably not. I have a very good friend who's Greek Orthodox. And among the Greek Orthodox, St. Nicholas has remained pristine. There is no confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, now, St. Nicholas's diocese, Mira, which is in modern-day Turkey, um, the, the church of St. Nicholas, where he was originally buried, is still standing, and they only open it once a year. Once a year on St. Nicholas's feast day, um, the Greek Orthodox are permitted to come in and, and have the divine liturgy. Um, but the Turks have erected outside of it a bronze statue of Santa Claus. Oh, oh no. Oh. And, and my Greek oh. Orthodox friend is just outraged. Oh, that, 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 that hurts. <laughs> yeah, that hurts. Well, let's talk about St. Nicholas. Let's, let's talk about the, the great saint who has fostered devotion for, like, as you said, 1,700 years. What, how did he start out? Who, who was this, he this was, man? He belonged to a Christian family um, about the year 275 he was born mm-hmm. um, in what is now Turkey. Um, he became a priest and bishop of, of the town of Mira, and this was during the persecution of, of, Di- of the Emperor Diocletian, so this is about the year 304, mm-hmm. and he was arrested and put in prison for quite a long time. He was never martyred. Um, he, he survived. He got out when Constantine um, made the church legal. Mm. And he was at the, uh, supposedly he was at the Council of Nicaea, the great council that condemned the heresy of Arius. And the Greeks tell a story that when Arius stood up to explain to the bishops um, his ideas about the Trinity, um, St. Nicholas was so outraged that he actually stood and slapped Arius across the face. Well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got to be careful when you're out in heresy. Now, does that sound like a guy who gets pulled around by a tiny reindeer... No, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, he does have a quite a legacy. I mean, of, of generosity of oh, spirit. Enormous. Yeah, that's true. Um, the, the the most famous story, of course, is that in his city there was um, a wealthy merchant who went bankrupt, and he had three daughters of marriage marriageable age, and had no dowries for them. Mm-hmm. And at this time, without a dowry, it was almost impossible for a young girl to marry. So the father was afraid that they were going to wind up in lives of prostitution. And St. Nicholas heard about their, their plight and took a bag of gold one night and walked over to their house and threw it through an open window. So now the eldest girl has a dowry. Mm-hmm. So the next night he comes back and he does it a second time. And now the second girl has a dowry. And on the third night, when he throws the bag through the window, this time the family is ready for him, and they throw open the door and come outside to see who their benefactor is. Mm. This is where we get the idea of St. Nicholas bringing gifts. And in Central and Eastern Europe, and also I should, should say in, in Belgium, uh, St. Nicholas does bring little chocolates, little presents on his feast day to children as sort of a, a prelude to Christmas. But there's no a tiny reindeer. There's no coming down the chimney. He arrives as as he was as a bishop, right? And that in itself, I mean, just how he he lived his life, his, the generosity again of spirit, that in itself is a, a huge reason to celebrate his feast day on December sixth. Oh, and you know, 
it, during the Middle Ages, or by the time of the Middle Ages, the number of churches, chapels, shrines, altars dedicated to St. Nicholas, impossible to count, literally impossible, um, from the Eastern Orthodox to, to the far west, to, all the way to Ireland, um, there were churches dedicated to, to Nicholas. And they told wonderful stories of, of all the miracles that, that he had performed, um, <laughs> including even taking care of thieves at one point, uh, save, saving um, mariners when, when they were caught in a terrible storm at sea. There, there was nothing, apparently, that St. Nicholas couldn't do. And I can see why, uh, you know, that whole idea of where you're asking for someone to intercede for your needs that now we send to Santa Claus, you know, our wish list for yep. items. But that's it, it's gotten taken over by a secular desire to market more things. So now we're asking uh, Santa Claus for a Lincoln, <laughs> you know, or we're asking <laughs> Santa Claus for diamonds right. you, or something like that. And that really... That's just a, a violation of the whole spirit of what he was giving to the poor. Well, it's been completely divorced. Um, you know, once once St. Nicholas was no longer the bishop, once he was this this um, you know, mythical mythical character living up at the North Pole with all the little elves, then all bets were off. You know, it's it's com- mm-hmm. it completely secularized them, secularized him, um, and and again, you know. Uh, Washington Irving and, and his friends, I don't think, meant to do any harm, but they did irreparable damage. Yeah. And I, I think for parents out there, I guess there there is hope. And uh, you owe it to St. Nicholas to teach your children about him, the saint, right. and to let them know that Santa Claus and St. Nicholas are not the same. Not the same guys. No. And that's okay. The kids can handle that, don't you think? They're surprisingly resilient. Yeah, you bet. Um, Thomas, before we finish up with St. Nicholas, uh, the... Uh, the ultimate uh, depositing of his relics is a story in and of itself as well, isn't it? Well, the um, he he was in buried in Turkey, uh, and when the the Turks um, took over, well, North Africa and then the Holy Land, and were were making incursions into the Byzantine Empire, which is what Turkey was at that time. Um, a lot of Christians throughout Europe were nervous about what would happen to the relics of Saint Nicholas, and. Two different boatloads of Christians from, from Italy went to Turkey to try to, to claim them. I'm not really sure that the Greek Christians in Turkey wanted his relics to be moved, mm-hmm. right. but the Italians felt that they would be much safer in Italy. And the ship from Bari, which is down on the, the southeast coast of, of Italy, um, that got there first. So they collected the relics of St. Nicholas and took them back to the city of Bari, where they remain to this day. And both Greek Orthodox and Catholics come and uh, to pray at the shrine of St. Nicholas. You mean so they had like this boat race to get there first? They had a boat race. <laughs> <laughs> um, having relics were an extremely hot property in the Middle Ages. Um, people regarded them not only for for the, the spiritual benefit of having the, um, the the relics of a great saint in their city, but also it it brought in commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, pilgrims would come to visit the shrine. That means they were going to stay in hotels, they were going to eat in restaurants, they were going to buy stuff in the shops. Uh, so whoever had the greatest number of great saints, um, their city was going to thrive. 
you know, I think studying the lives of the saints and learning about people like St. Nicholas, it's just one of the great gifts that we can give to our, our kids. I say this all the time, but Saints for Every Occasion is one of my favorite books because it helps us not only connect the saints in their lives and things that were happening to them and how they can help us by talking to them. It helps us to look at everybody like that. I and mean, we all have a story and there's always a way that we can understand and, and help guide people. Yeah, I think you're right. In the book, you do have a section for saints for children. Mm-hmm. So not only do they have St. Nicholas, I thought this one was very touching, St. William of Rochester. Mm. Oh, yeah, the one for the patron of adopted children. One of my yep. favorites. <clears throat> not a, not an entirely happy story, but no. the guy had a wonderful heart. Uh, apparently, he was he was a baker in Scotland, and he there was a little boy, a little orphan boy, that he ran across one day, and, and the guy took him in, raised him as his own son, uh, I don't, I'm not even sure the kid had a name, but he named him David. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the the boy was in his late teens, um, they decided that they were going to make a pilgrimage to Rome. And they went off on foot. You know, he was a baker. He didn't have a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And they got as far as Rochester in England. And something happened. We don't know the details. That's been lost to history. But the kid murdered his adopted father mm. and um, you know, left, left the body left the body in the woods. He was never found again. He just disappeared. But um, William's, William's body was found, they said, by a, a, a mad woman. And um, she made a crown of flowers and she put it on the body's head. And then she put the crown of flowers on her head and um, she was healed. Wow. And that's when people realized we have a saint here, not just a crime victim. Yeah, very tender. I mean, so many adoptive parents, they just put out everything they can because they just want to be able to share not only what they have, but to open their homes and share their lives with children. It's an enormously generous gift. It really is. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't do anything better than to give uh, an abandoned or an orphan child um, a home, a family, love. Uh, what, what, could, what could be better than that? Yeah. And really, Thomas, I mean, I think it's kind of uh, poetic justice that William is really, as you point out, part of uh, a number of saints whose canonization came through popular acclaim rather than a formal process. So in essence, he was kind of adopted by the people as a saint. That's a good way to put it. That's exactly what popular acclaim is. These people adopt um, someone who strikes them as, as incredibly holy. And although by the time William lived, the Vatican had um, a process for, for canonization, popular acclaim um, still went on, and generally, what the popes have done over the years is recognize um, what they what the, the term they use is cult, but that's cult in the old-fashioned word of devotion, not cult is in the modern word of brainwashing. Right. right. Yep. Well, and one pr- a man who followed essentially the same type of footsteps that uh, William did was Saint John Bosco. Yes, and again, you know, he's he's living in Turin in northern Italy at the end of the nineteenth century when Turin was, was turning from a little provincial city to this economic, industrial powerhouse. And all of these peasants are coming in from the countryside to get jobs in the factories and the mills and the foundries. And a lot of children, a lot of families get broken up. A lot of children are displaced and orphaned or, or just abandoned. And Bos- Don Bosco was seeing 12-year-old boys getting sentenced to prison, mm. put, in, put in with, with hardened criminals, 
Yeah, well, if you're 12 years old and you're already in with, with hard criminals, you don't have a chance. Right. right. Yeah. So Don Bosco set up a sort of city within a city, trade schools, um, workshops, uh, printeries, uh, and also a little minor seminary for the ones, for the boys that he would channel into the priesthood. Uh, and it became enormously successful, so much so that even, anti, even Italy's anti-clerical government realized that what Don Bosco was doing was enormously productive and a tremendous service to society besides. Well, and from that, the Salatians were born. Yes, that's right. That was his order. Um, and to this day, you find schools, trade schools, and, and um, named after Don Bosco. The Salatians are all over the world. Mm-hmm. It reminds me so much of a, of a man who was very dear to the hearts of everyone around here, and that's Father Flanagan. There are no bad boys. Yep. No, that's right. He, I think he and Don Bosco would have would have understood each other perfectly. Yeah. And that was another thing. And, you know, we, we tend to sentimentalize it a bit. But um, Don Bosco and Father Flanagan realized, all right, so these are tough kids. They're going to need a little extra attention. Mm-hmm. But um, you can't give up on them. And, and I think that that accounts for... The, the tremendous success stories, the great, tremendous number of success stories Don Bosco and Father Flanagan had because they didn't give up on these kids. Mm-hmm. No, and if they if they don't give up, they're a prime example for us that we should not give up. I, and it's not easy. You know, That's right. Um, <laughs> other people can be very difficult. <laughs> One of Don Bosco's uh, most famous students was St. Dominic Savio. And and Dominic was, you know, a young teenage boy, and um, young teenage boys can be a little over the top in their enthusiasms. And he wanted to perform all of these additional and and harsh penances. Mm -hmm. And Don Bosco wouldn't permit him to do any of them. He said, putting up with the irritation from everybody around you is penance enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very true, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Well, let's take a a totally different track, and I think this one is probably my favorite as a parent, because how many times did we invoke this, Bruce? Oh, St. Raphael? Yeah, that's right. a lot. Yes, yes. Not only because he's the name of one of our favorite priests, Father Ralph O'Donnell, but uh, St. Raphael is, of course, the archangel, and he is really helpful for preventing nightmares. Yes, he is. And it, it comes from uh, the Old Testament book of Tobit or Tobias, depending on you know, which edition you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the story, um, Raphael is taking the young man Tobias on this long journey. And at one point they stop um, at the home of distant relatives of Tobias. And there's a young, the daughter of the house, Sarah, uh, has been married seven times. And each time on her wedding night, a, a demon named Asmodeus kills the bridegroom. That is beyond bad luck. That is beyond bad luck. Yeah. This is, this is the, 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 the picture-perfect nightmare situation. Mm-hmm. So when Raphael says to Tobias, you should marry Sarah, <laughs> you can imagine <laughs> his yeah. reaction. Uh-huh. Ah! <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I cannot, that doesn't sound like a good idea. 
Um, and of course, at this point, Tobias doesn't know that Raphael is an archangel. He just thinks that this is a you know a traveling companion who has suddenly turned into someone not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but Raphael explains that if is that if he and Sarah spend the first three nights of their wedding night um, praying, that the curse will be broken and 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 they will be safe. And so I, on the first night of their wedding night, they pray and go to sleep. And the next morning, Sarah's father gets up and actually has the servants go out and dig a grave. Yeah, he's just probably, well, here we go again. Here we go again, exactly. There's a pattern here. And he's just delighted when Tobias comes down for breakfast. So that's, that's, how, the, that's how Sarah's personal nightmare was broken and how St. Raphael becomes the patron saint invoked against nightmares. Not only does it come from that particular scripture from the story, but I have found that that it, there's a real truism. You know, when children, uh, and adi- I, I still do it, I'll admit it, Tom, when I have a nightmare, one of my kids, we pray that the angels will come and protect them, and we mm-hmm. especially invoke St. Raphael, and it never it had never failed us. Everybody right. goes back to sleep, it, and you don't have the nightmare, and it's, I truly believe in the intercession of St. Raphael. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, this, um, my my niece is five years old, and she was she was having nightmares once in a while. And also, you know, when you're five years old, all you need are one or two to really scare you. Mm-hmm. So, um, we have her we have her saying Hail Marys and and you know, praying to the angels, and uh, she feels much more confident. Mm-hmm. She, go, she when she goes to sleep, you know, when when she goes to bed, she always remembers. <laughs> to say the Hail Mary and yep. invoke the angels so that she won't have nightmares. Yep. Yeah. Very wise, um, child. Also uh, the patron of happy meetings, young people, pilgrims, and travelers, and probably one of the only archangels out there that has a website. <laughs> 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 yes, for single Catholics. Good. That's uh, straphael.net. I think we need to give that to our kids. I think so, too. That's a good idea. And uh, one, of, uh, one of my favorites on the horizon here, Thomas, is... One that I invoke, oh, with failing memory here as I get older, almost daily. These are saints for children, Bruce. <laughs> a child forever, Chris. Okay, that's right. Yeah. St. Anthony of Padua. St. Anthony of Padua, the patron saint of lost objects. Um, I may be the last generation of people who still did this, but when I was a kid and we were playing and we lost a ball, invariably somebody would say, St. Anthony, St. Anthony, look all around. There's something that's missing and cannot be found. Now, we're not exactly talking Shakespeare, but no. it always got the job done. It we, always, always, we always found the lost ball. It always does. I mean, even St. Saint, Saint, Father Benedict Groeschel, who is probably, he's such a remarkable guy on, on his own, talks about how he invokes St. Anthony all the time. All the yep. time. And it works. Yes. There takes a quite a bit of act of faith. I mean, not, you're not just saying, like you're talking to a talisman, help find this for me. Right. There's something about turning to when you feel like you've done everything you can. Isn't there something remarkable when you do find it? You do. Okay, I'm gonna, this sounds weird, but I really do feel this presence like this. Wow. I mean, yeah. it, it, it just makes you realize the power of the spirit to work through that. It's... I. I Everything from the diamond from my mother's engagement ring, uh, I can't tell you the number of things St. Anthony has found for us. That's right. And the, the, the story is, we're not really sure if this is true or not. This may, this may be one of those legends that tend to grow up around very popular saints. But the story is that there was um, a novice in the, 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 
Franciscan house where Anthony lived. And the the kid decided he didn't have a vocation he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. But um, before he left, he stole um, a beautiful book of the Psalms that, that Anthony owned. A little while later, Anthony returned to his cell, discovered the book was missing, and prayed for its return. Well, meanwhile, out on the road is the kid with the little hot property that he's stolen, and he has this terrifying vision. We're not sure what it was. Some mm-hmm. awful blocking his way and, and telling him, return that to Anthony. And the kid comes scurrying back with the book, and you know, Anthony's, Anthony's lost book is restored. But that's, that's the origin of St. Anthony for, for returning lost objects. Um, and I, I was in Padua about three years ago, mm-hmm. and it was my first time there. It was a raw, drizzly, dull, ordinary Tuesday morning in January, and the place was thronged. You had to stand online mm-hmm. to venerate the tomb of St. Anthony. The, the intensity of devotion to him really bowled me over. I can't imagine what it must be like on this feast day. You know, I uh, had a conversation with a priest once when I happened to be working in a parish and I'd lost something, and I was saying to myself, I was asking St. Anthony to help me find this very important thing, and the priest said, it kind of uh, poo-pooed me, you know, oh, you're, what are you doing? You're, and you know who I'm talking about, Bruce. Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> he who shall be unnamed. Yeah, he, will, he who shall be unnamed. And he just went, oh, that's just so, that's so simplistic. I can't believe it. And he's kind of joking with me. And I, I looked at him and I said, you know, I think I'm going to pray to St. Anthony that you find your childlike faith again. Oh, well, I love him. I love him to death. And I think he's found that again. And I, but I don't, not necessarily because I said that, but there is a truth to that. Sometimes we can get so heady and so fo 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 that we forget about just the simplicity and the childlike faith that even Jesus called us to. All the time. I, you'll never hear me downplay the intellect. But there, there can be a point where if we're all brain and no heart, heaven, heaven is full of people canonized, you know, officially canonized with the title saint and all the others who are saints with them, just waiting to help. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is ask. And so many of them are heart people. You yeah. look at the lives of the saints mm-hmm. and you look at people who became very childlike in their faith. Yes, that's true. Yeah. You know. And before we move off of St. Anthony, too, we want to point out that he had the fastest canonization on record. Yes, he does. Less than a year. Wow. wow. The number the number of miracles attributed to him. Um, and at this point, they, they were collecting evidence. They were um, collecting testimony of people who knew him. And the, the amount of material was so overwhelming that the Pope canonized him in less than a year. Wow. Well, hmm. you know, I'll pray also to St. Anthony that everybody listening out there will find... Saints for Every Occasion by Thomas Crogwell. Oh, no, I like that person. How's that for a plug? <laughs> One of, you know, we were talking about nightmares, and then we were talking about things being lost. And I think the topic of television kind of fits under both of those because, <laughs> you know, as a parent, you turn on the television and there are just, night. I mean, not just the, the creepy shows, but some of the things I see and commercials I see that our kids are exposed to and directed towards them, but also how we've lost... I don't know about you guys, but when, growing up in the 60s, I remember the Beverly Hillbillies and Green Acres and yes. simple shows. I mean, there was nothing like Nip Tuck. 
mm. that somebody could turn on to. And it seems as though we really need to pray to the patron of television that Pope Pius the Twelfth appointed. Yes, that's Saint Clara of Assisi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, which which seems like an unlikely choice. Yeah. You know why why a twelfth century cloistered nun? Um, but there was a there was a story, and again, this is this comes from the the testimony from her canonization. One of the nuns who was brought in as a witness um, said that one Christmas Eve, Claire was so ill she she couldn't leave her bed to go to midnight mass, and all of the nuns went off to the chapel, and Claire was sitting in bed and she sighed heavily and said, "See, Lord, they've left me all alone with you." Mm-hmm. Well, at that moment, she had a vision of Midnight Mass as it was being said, and not only did she see the Mass, but she could hear it. She could hear the priest and the altar boy doing the responses. She could hear the music from the choir. And when Saint, when Pius XII, Pius XII liked assigning patron saints. I, I, I think he did it more than, than any other pope I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. And, and Pius XII was a man of wide-ranging interest. He was fascinated by new developments in science and technology. So when television was still very, very young, he decided to give television a patron saint, and remembering the story of St. Clair's vision and interpreting it maybe as the first live simulcast, yeah. he, he named her patron saint of television. And I'm sure she's okay with that. I don't think it bothers her. Well, no. I, mean, I guess the problem is where television is gone between 1958 well. and 2006. We it's, just need to start really praying to her. Yes. I don't think people appreciate the St. Clair's <laughs> out there waiting. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're well beyond the days of I Love Lucy, I'm afraid. Amen. Yeah. A sad testament, uh-huh. but true. Yep. Another area that, again, here we're on the beginnings of a whole new frontier in communication, that's the Internet. Yes. So uh, how did we come about with this particular saint? Well, in, we, can, we can actually pinpoint this. In 1999, there was a movement among um, Catholics who were involved in the then-budding Internet technology. They wanted a patron saint. Right. Mm-hmm. And they officially petitioned Pope John Paul II for, for a saint, and they had somebody in mind. They had picked St. Isidore of Seville, who lived in the 7th century. Mm-hmm. And they picked him because, in his lifetime, St. Isidore compiled this 30-volume encyclopedia of all existing knowledge. Mm. And so the Catholic webmasters interpreted this as the world's first database, and so that's why they wanted St. Isidore. Interesting. So yeah. every, everyone should get out there and get an icon or a picture mm-hmm. of St. Isidore, a prayer card, and put it right there on top of their monitor. So their well, kids you know, he has because one. We were talking about popular acclaim, and he has become de facto um, the patron saint of the Internet, largely because of the Internet. It got passed around by email and chat rooms, and now now the bloggers, of course, have picked it up. And that's that's generally how it works. It's a grassroots movement. Um, This is a classic case of ordinary folks deciding this is our guy. Yeah. Our oldest daughter, Laura, probably spends more time on the Internet, Thomas, than the rest of the McGregor family combined. And one of the interesting things here, and uh, we're going to go out and get something from St. Isidore right after this program, honey, is they share a birthday. 
Do they really? Yes, they do. They're both born on April 4th. I think oh I'm going to... gosh. Don't tell Laura that. Well, Laura will go, of course. Okay, we'll keep it a secret. Yeah. Yes, Laura will go, of course. That makes yes, perfect sense. That, that seems right. So Laura's going to have a new saint in front of her monitor here. That's very soon. right. <laughs> well, it, just to kind of wrap up the chapter, I think this is such an important one. And I think parents start praying to this particular saint for good friendships for your children. Oh, yeah. Right from the moment they are born. I think this is very important. This is, that's St. Saint John the Evangelist, the yeah. beloved disciple, and his best friend was Jesus Christ. Um, Hard to top that. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you go afterwards? Um, and yeah, you know, John, John was the, the disciple that Jesus loved best. He made, he made St. Peter Pope. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave his blessed mother to St. John. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's an astonishing um, tribute. You know, as we pray, every time, you know, when you pray a rosary or you're just looking at your, your child in their crib or on their in their bed at night, I mean, even to place like a prayer, I, I keep, I love prayer cards because you can put them everywhere and right. they fit in. That's but, true. But just have just an image of St. John and just say, please pray for good friendships for my child. It's that easy. It's that it quick. And, and, you know, there's, there's none of us who haven't seen a little kid go go off among a bunch of other little kids and say, oh, I hope everybody's nice to him. You know, oh, yes. Honor. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, that pain. Yeah, and as uh, yeah. we heard preached uh, recently by uh, by one of our, well, by our pastor, uh, is the story of how he was the one who brought Mary is to, to Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus. That's right. That's right, yes. That's the, 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 the um, and of course, there is the little house there that is supposed to be the one where Barry and John lived. Um, Pope Benedict just said mass there last week. Yeah, isn't that something? Wow, gives you a chill. Well, isn't that what a good friend does? A good friend, it's beyond a lifetime, and steps up and helps care for people, and is thoughtful, and even unto death. And you know, this is essentially what what patron saints are. They are close friends, and occasionally. We either have it ourselves or we know somebody who has such an intense, such a close relationship with, with a particular saint or a couple of particular saints that they are like flesh and blood friends here on, here on Earth, somebody that you can talk to, that you can confide in, that you can turn to for help. And the saints, with astonishing regularity, respond. So everyone out in your cars right now and you're driving and you're dropping your kids off at school or you're going off to work, say a quick prayer to St. John and just say, please help my children to develop and have good friendships. That's a great, that's a great prayer. Yeah, it's that easy. And uh, I love, too, uh, Thomas, in your book that you uh, pointed out the tradition repeated by St. Jerome. You just have to love the tradition of the church that when uh, John was uh, very old, too weak to walk and, and do much speaking, Disciples would carry him to wherever they were celebrating the Eucharist, and all he said to them was, little children love one another. Yeah. Someone at one point asked him why he said the same thing. He goes, because these are the words of the Lord, and if you do this, you do enough. Isn't it it nice to get a nice summary like that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tom, thank you so much for the gift that you give us in in helping us to know the saints and to, to see and recognize them as people. Well, thank you so much. That's the kindest thing you could say to me. And for you to give your time to us, especially, you know, not only all these wonderful saints that we've talked about just in the last few moments, but also 
for St. Nicholas, once again, you know, for people to go out there and give your children the gift of who truly St. Nicholas is and let them know that there's a difference between him and Santa Claus. Yeah, I think, you know, let's reclaim him. Let's take him back. That's right. That doesn't mean we have to abolish Santa Claus. No, he can do his own thing over there. Keep keep Santa Claus, but let's reclaim St. Nicholas. Absolutely. Well, Thomas, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, look at that. Oh, the audience is very happy. (laughs) (laughs) They love it when you're here. They're very generous.